and welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. I believe that we can thrive in all areas of life at the same time. But where do we begin? Personally, financially, spiritually, relationally... And often because we don't know where to focus, we do nothing. At least that's the space I lived in for several years. I know what it feels like to constantly be spinning my wheels. And that's exactly why I created the Dream Life Daily Journal. After working through the Dream Life Action Planner, we need to do something every day so we actually take steps in the direction we desire. Throughout the years, I've developed success habits that have helped me to create a Dream 10 life in all areas by focusing on one area at a time. And I teach you exactly what to do each and every day in the Dream Life Daily Journal. You'll find a gratitude game every day to start the morning off right. A space for prayer, meditation, journaling. A space to write down your clear and intentional Dream Life goal with affirmations and visualizations connected to that goal. You'll then have a spot to write down your dream life action to-do list so you can be intentionally taking action towards your goal every single day. I know that by completing the Dream Life Daily Journal every day for at least 30 days, you can create momentum. And when you do that, my friends, you can live your dream life too. Check out the dreamlifetoolkit.com or Amazon to get your copy of the Dream Life Daily Journal today. Big, big welcome back to the Dreamcast. You guys, our next guest is absolutely inspiring because she has overcome and pivoted through and grown through several experiences. And one of them, unfortunately, was the diagnosis of breast cancer. At the age of 40, she had four children and she made the decision that she would fight this cancer with every ounce of her strength. Uh, and after enduring multiple surgeries, chemo, radiation, and the, the depression, the anxiety, the, the life stuff that happens with such a diagnosis, she has earned the title of breast cancer survivor. And through that process, she discovered that she was so much stronger than she ever imagined and was braver than she ever thought possible. And it was in the trenches of this hard time she found grit. And then just two years later, she was actually in another situation where grit was required. (laughs) She survived 35 grueling days on the Emmy award-winning reality TV series, Survivor Millennials versus Gen X. And to be honest, I really haven't seen TV in several years, so I'm really interested in who won. (laughs) And you know what? It didn't stop there because she took all of this knowledge, this wisdom, this discovery that she experienced, and she has now written a book called Grit Girl Power to Survive, inspired by Grace, where she walks the reader through her own journey to finding grit while providing a path for them to do the same. So, oh my goodness, we're totally going to be friends. I'm so excited to have you connect with our next guest. So big Dreamcast, welcome to Sunday BirdQuest. Wow, are you talking about me? Yeah, I know. I'm like, you're awesome. I hope you know Oh, wow. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. 
Yeah, this is going to be super fun. And and really, you've been through several adventures, but the Lord has always been a foundation for you. And you are a youth pastor for about 15 years. So tell me a little bit about your story and then moving into the breast cancer diagnosis. Okay, my mom got saved or, you know, started attending church, asked the Lord to be Jesus, be Lord of her life when I was in kindergarten. And it kind of started a trajectory for our family. At the time, my dad was an alcoholic. And he was an alcoholic until I was about 11. And my mom, you know, my first example of grit that I've ever seen, my mom told him he either had to quit drinking or leave. And there was three of us kids at the time. And thankfully, he chose us. He did quit drinking and then started attending church with my mom and us. And it really just totally changed the direction of the family. So I started the church that I eventually ended up working at. I started attending when I was in third grade, grew up there, had my moments in high school, you know, but ended up at Bible college, came back, started working by answering the phones, then worked in preschool department and was eventually married and became youth pastors with my husband, which we did for 15 years while we were raising our four kids. Okay. So, so I mean, that, well, that's a beautiful story. Uh, addiction is something that touches almost every family and to know that, that there is another path and to know that that path it really ripples effect and impacts not just your family, but your kids and all of it is really powerful. And so when were you diagnosed with breast cancer? And tell me a bit about, did you have symptoms? How did you find it? And then what happened next? So one Friday night, my husband and I were watching TV because that's what we do at our age for fun on Friday night. (laughs) Actually, first we went to Menards and then we were watching TV. So I'm sitting there and I went to itch my bra strap and I felt something. And it really, it felt like a little marble. And immediately I thought to myself, no, you're imagining things. That's nothing. And that night when I went to bed, I would lay down and I'd feel for it and I wouldn't be able to find it. And I'd sit back up and I'd feel again. I'd go, oh, it's still there. And I did that like 10 times. Woke up in the morning. First thing I did, feel it. Yep, it's there. So that was Friday. Monday morning, I went to my regular doctor and she, you know, gave me a once over and sent me to a breast care specialist the very next day where they did an on-the-spot biopsy. And the next morning I was painting furniture, which is what I do on my side time with my sister, my sister-in-law, and I got a call. So from Friday to Wednesday, I'm getting a call from the doctor's office. And the nurse that called said, you know, first thing she said was, are you driving right now? And I knew that was not a good sign. And I said, no, I'm just waiting for your call. And, and she continued, you know, we got your test results back. I'm so sorry to tell you of invasive ductal carcinoma. And those words, they just sat there in the car, like they sat there in the car with me, like in the air. And she said, do you understand I'm telling you that you have breast cancer? And I said, yep. She's like, would you like me to spell it for you? And I was like, nope. <laughs> She goes, okay, um, do you want to write it down? Nope. I'm sure I was in denial, you know, and she didn't know what to do with me. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, we'll call you for an appointment. And I hung up and I just sat there like, I can't have cancer. I have kids. Now, mind you, millions of women get diagnosed with cancer that have kids. But this was the forefront of my thinking, partly because just a year earlier, my husband almost died 
twice. He had emergency open heart surgery and then he almost bled to death. And so the thought of putting my kids through that, I felt like they had barely made it through what happened with their dad. And in the years prior to my diagnosis, both of their grandfathers died of cancer. So in their personal experience, the people they knew that they loved that got cancer died. And now I have to sit them down and say, I have cancer. So that was really hard. But I called my husband, of course, right away. And he's like Mr. Steady Eddie. And I'm like all over the board. And we end the conversation with him saying, everything is going to be okay. So I call my mom next. Completely different conversation. But unknowing, she didn't know what Jeff said. When we hung up the phone, her words were this. Everything is going to be okay. So once we found out kind of the, the plan, we sat the kids down. And honestly, it was probably the hardest part of the whole thing. They were 12, 14, 16, and 18. So while I was thankful I didn't have toddlers and babies, I had kids that understood the gravity of what was going on and already had their own emotional stuff because of the stuff with their dad. So they were troopers, you know. I found out that my local church community just poured on help. And I had always been on the giving end, but never the receiving end of what that felt like for meals and cleaning and taking my kids places. It was just, it was just incredible. You know, I start, I had multiple surgeries and I did chemo and I want to give you a breath. I feel like I'm just talking. <laughs> so interrupt me if you want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm over here in tears, just imagining those conversations and knowing that at the end of the emotion, you know, the, the fear is there. Yep. Nobody really knows. The love is also there. And at the end of the conversation, the exclamation point is everything is going to be okay. And you yep. found support and love through your family, through your community. And like, wow. I feel like when you're going through a time like that, not only do you find out what you're made of and what you're capable of, but you really see how much love there is in the world mm -hmm. in that situation. And it's humbling. It's really humbling, you know, and I, as I went through the process, it was difficult. You know, I had the conversation with my kids. Listen, I'm going to fight this, everything I have. If there's something I can do that'll bring down my reoccurrence rate by 2%, I'm doing it, whatever it is. However, if I pass and I don't make it, but I'm going to, if I don't, you, we are not those without hope. You'll see me again. And I had to have that conversation, but I, you know, it was, I really wasn't afraid of, losing the battle to cancer, I was afraid I wasn't going to handle it right, which is so weird, but that's what worried me. Yeah. The journey is never easy either. Right. Right. And I want to find that balance between, you know, sometimes I feel like you want to shield your kids so much and then they grow up and they go through something hard and they think, what's wrong with me? My mom handled this fine. Why can't I? So I, I felt like they needed to see that balance of I'm walking in faith and I have, you know, there's an inner peace here, but at the same time, it's hard. I'm crying. I don't feel good. I'm scared. And you know what? That's okay. So how did you stay positive, focused, and gritty throughout the journey of this? I'll tell you, I didn't feel that way every single day. However, I did things on purpose to fill myself with positive 
and was very guarded about negativity. One thing that a homeopathic doctor told me to do was to belly laugh three times a day. And he gave me even a list of TV shows and movies to watch. So I watched Everybody Loves Raymond every day. It makes me laugh out loud. I listened to worship music at night when I went to sleep because I couldn't sing and think of something else at the same time. So if I lay there and sang to myself, I couldn't think the fear thoughts. And I tried to do that till I fell asleep. You know, I tried to live life as normal as I could. I didn't, you know, I didn't do a lot, but I tried to play games or, you know, go to the kids' stuff and just tried to keep as best as I could a normal life. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so tell me about the day you earned the title breast cancer survivor. Do you know what? This is going to sound really odd. The day that my doctor said to me, you're cancer free, I was happy. I was excited. However, it wasn't. It wasn't this elation, and this is why. During the chemo process, I picked up anxiety and depression. Like, I didn't realize it was something that came with cancer, and I'd never dealt with it before. So even though he said, you're cancer-free, I sat there thinking, I don't feel free. Like, I don't, I don't feel any different. I understand what you're telling me, and that's great. However, I feel like I can't get back to myself. Like, I... You know, like I felt like I was drowning a little bit, like trying to get up to the surface to get back to who I was before. And then I had to realize, you know what? I don't need to be who I was before. When you have like a big thing like cancer, it divides your life into a before and an after. And for me to put pressure on myself that I need to be who I was before says, well, that person was good and now this isn't good. Like, nope, it's just a new me. It's a new me. And so I had to come to terms with that and realize that there were so many positives that came out of it, which is crazy to say, but it's so true. And when you focus on those, it makes you happy, gives you joy, and helps you get through instead of focusing on all the negative. It's choice. It's hard, but it is a conscious decision. Like, okay, today I feel like crap. I don't feel like doing anything. I feel anxious, whatever it is. But... I'm going to watch this funny TV show. I'm going to do what I can with my kids to get my mind off of it. And I'm going to speak positive words out of my mouth. I think that this is a message that a lot of people need to hear because there's little traumas a lot, you know, and it could be, you know, you talk to a mom of toddlers, there's life happening all the time. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, there's car accidents, there's diagnoses, yeah. there's lots of different ways that maybe we've been hurt by a friend or a divorce or things like that. And there can be a feeling of like a part of me is lost. And what you're saying is that's not necessarily true. It's, it can be both good, even despite the, the trauma or the situation, the before and after. The after may be different. You may have grown and changed, but mm-hmm. it's still good. So you then, not only did you go on a healing journey to heal yourself from the cancer and and go through that. But you also then had to go a who am I now journey and find out who this new Sunday was. What are some things that you did to find yourself again? That is a really good question. I would say, first of all, just accepting, like we just talked about, accepting that I'm different a little and that things are changed. I had to accept the fact that my house wasn't going to be spotless anymore. Because you know what? Now I don't really 
care as much. But I used to be a freak about everything being in its place, you know, things like that. I think it was it was a realization that when you have like a life situation like that, you really start to evaluate things and what's important and what's not important. And I started to realize that I had dreams in my heart that I wasn't pursuing yet. And maybe this is a natural time to transition into some of those things. Like, I like to look at these situations like, okay, they're horrible, they're hard, but Lord, help me find what I can do to make it positive or what I can use out of it to help somebody else. So that's when I really started reflecting and looking at, okay, where is it I want to go? Not what I'm supposed to do, but what do I want to do that's like inside of me as a passion from the Lord? And that, that's how I started to just take the path. So what dreams were, were brewing inside that you hadn't said yes to yet? Oh, there were a few, (laughs) but I, you know, one of them was to be on Survivor and it's such a weirdo thing. I know, but we'd watched it as a family forever since it started and loved it. And years ago, we were watching it one time and I said, I'm going to be on the show one day, you know, and my boys just were laughing. Oh yeah, right, mom. You wouldn't survive one day. And then I get through the cancer and I'm turning 45 And my oldest son comes to me, he's like, mom, you got through the cancer. Let's apply together for Survivor because they do a season called Blood versus Water every once in a while where you go on with a blood relative. So we applied together and we got a call back that didn't really go anywhere. And then I applied again the next year and then I got a call back and started the process of, you know, the casting process. So it was kind of a combination of, okay, I did cancer. Let's really, let's really put this to the test, right? Let's put the survivor thing to the test. Plus I was turning 45. It was like, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And then I have my son believing in me. It's like, you know what? It's time to go for it. Oh, I, I love it. That's the thing is you guys, these dreams that you have on your heart, you can let them pass you by and think it's a fleeting thought, or you can take action on them. And I love that as a family, this is something you guys did together and then you took action on it. So how the heck do you get on Survivor? Well, first you turn in a three-minute audition video. Then from those videos, they pick however many. I don't even know because there's who knows how many that come in. Thousands and thousands, probably, you know, 700,000 or something. They end up calling people that, that kind of jump off the screen to them in there. And then that call, you don't know it, but it's kind of a mini interview. And if they, they like you, what they do is they come back to you, invite you out to LA for a week of like final casting. So out of however many thousands, in our case, 49 people were invited back, invited to the casting process. And then what happens is people are eliminated throughout the process. And you just keep hoping that you're still there the next day. <laughs> and um yeah, you go through interviews, you have a lot of psychological testing, all your medical testing you do at home before you get there. So it's quite involved. Okay. And then you survived 35 days. What are some of the crazy things you had to do? Oh, well, first of all, let me say this. Wear a two-piece bathing suit on national TV at 45. Because <laughs> um, I'm not, you know, I'm not super athletic. And I'm not Miss Stick Girl, right? I've had four kids. 
And, you know, immediately the first day on the beach, I, I see all the cute, you know, girls come in the 22 and 23 year olds and they're beautiful. And, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, what was I thinking? I'm going to have to, oh, just like in the inside, just like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? And then I thought, you know what? Forget that. I have four kids. I am 45. I am on an island in a two piece. Good for me. I don't even care. So I decide right then, you know what, who cares? I got my, if you don't like it, too bad. I got four kids, you know? So that was crazy. I just think that the challenges are, you know, I don't do things like, I don't go dive off of things. I don't climb ropes. I don't climb in the sand. I don't, you know, get blindfolded. I mean, all these things that you're doing, it's like, I would sit there and think like, who am I and what am I doing? You know, but at the same time, it's so fun because it's so competitive. It's really a social game, so it's more about the dynamics socially. Uh, it was really hard, you know, to go without a bathroom, a toilet paper, or a toilet seat, or soap, or toothpaste, or razors, or anything like that. But the dynamics of being with people 24-7 that you don't really know. I mean, I'm with my family 24-7, and now I'm on an island with these people, and it's, you're never alone, but at the same time, you're with people all the time, but you are alone. Like, because everyone's trying to win a million dollars, right? So you can trust a few people, but in reality, you are there by yourself in a group of people that you are always with. It's a very weird feeling. Yeah, because you're, you're playing your own game, really. Everybody wants to win, um, yeah. but yet you do have teams and camaraderies and alliances and all of that that start to form. How yeah. did you navigate that? I went into it saying to myself, self, <laughs> uh, you can't let your emotions and friendships ruin your, you know, ruin your game. But at the same time, I am a social person and relationships are important to me. So that's where the game gets tricky because you have to have these relationships and you build them. I mean, you, what you guys see on TV are challenges. What you don't see is three days of doing nothing, like nothing. So all you do is talk, 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 and build relationships. So even though I was saying to myself, like, listen, you got to vote what's going to help you win, not what you care about. It's really conflicting. And the way that I had to define it in my mind was this. If I have to vote out someone I care about, right, then what I have to say to myself is I left my family for seven weeks. How do I go back to my kids and say, I left you for seven weeks, but I chose so-and-so that I've known for 20 days over you. And that's how I had to frame it, but it still was hard. It still was hard. And the thing is, I wasn't a backstabbing type. I'm not a backstabbing type person, so I wasn't like that on the island. Did I have to lie a few times? Yes, but I, I'm not mean you know so I wasn't one of those like you know kind of people but it, it does get tricky it messes with you and I think that people don't realize the sleep deprivation really affects you mm. yeah so you're really, really living on an island mm -hmm. not in a hotel that travels to an no. island <laughs> <laughs> I literally slept in the dirt like wow there's the ground I'm gonna lay down and sleep now wow 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 what was one of the craziest challenges you had to do Okay, so we had to do this challenge, which was so embarrassing, A. We show up, and it's an obstacle course, right? No problem, obstacle course. 
except for the fact that we had to do it on our bellies with our arms and our feet shackled together behind us. So I had to maneuver myself through a path. Thankfully, I got the easy part, but there were hills. There were other people I had to go. It was so bad. It was so embarrassing, first of all, because you're just like, you know, trying everything you can to move. It's like, yeah, embarrassing. But thankfully, my team won that challenge and I got to go on a helicopter reward, which was my dream. Besides winning the game was to go on the helicopter reward. So I actually went on almost all the rewards. But I still lost 25 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) So So. tell me a bit about how after experiencing several of these life altering events, Grit Mm -hmm. Girl got started because you you came home and you were like, wow, I've learned, I've grown and I have so much to offer. So tell me a bit about that. So I came home and here's the thing about Survivor is it taught me a lot, right? Multiple life lessons. But It also gave me a tiny bit of a platform so that now I can transition out of my full-time position into following those dreams that I knew that God put in my heart. And Survivor gave me just a little bit enough of a bump to be able to do that. And then if you back it up even further, breast cancer, I believe, was a big reason I got on Survivor because they're looking for people with a story. So I think they kind of all morphed together. When I came home, I started speaking and things. And really, honestly, I was just trying stuff to see what would stick to the wall, which sometimes you have to do. But I really wasn't tuning in to my heart and what I was really supposed to be doing as opposed to what I could do. And I went to a solitude retreat, which sounded like torture to me. But you go and you don't talk to anyone and no electronics and all that stuff. And that's where Grit Girl literally was dropped in my heart. The entire plan, I wrote a lot of the book, saw exactly what I was supposed to do, how I was supposed to do it. And so now I'm really just building a tribe of women, an online community, and I'm speaking. You know, the big dream is to take Grit Girl events on the road. I'm doing them in Minnesota right now, but I want to pour into women. I mean, for years I worked with students, but alongside that was also working and mentoring women. And I feel like there's so many women that are maybe at home, maybe at work in a job that's just a job and they feel a little hopeless. Like, you know what? Maybe they've raised their kids or maybe they're in the middle of raising kids or maybe they have toddlers and they cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. But there's a hope and a dream and a passion inside every single woman and a strength, which is that grit. And that strength, I think sometimes we get the idea from media and all those things that that strength is supposed to be self-serving, right? I can do this myself. I don't need anybody else. And I, you know, everybody owes me this. But really the way I see it is that strength allows us to depend on the people in our lives that we need, other women especially. But also that strength is to serve rather than being served. So how do we take those passions and then go out into the world with grit because it's hard and say, hey, I got this in the inside of me and I want to share it with you because you know what? I'm not viewing you as another woman. I don't view you as competition to me. We're collaborators. How many more people can we reach? How can I promote you and how can you promote me and how do we lift each other up? And then that is an example to 
our daughters and the kids coming behind us. So I don't think we realize, you know, these girls, they're listening to our conversations. When we're on the phone and we're ripping on another mom, they're in the backseat listening. They're absorbing all of it. Like, no, there's a different way. We could all serve so many more people and families and communities if we did it together and just tapped into that strength that we already have. Every woman has strength. Like, think about when something needs to get done. Like, say, okay, I get diagnosed, and I need meals and all this. Who does that? Women. If there's a funeral or a wedding, and there's a crisis, and something needs to get done, who does it? Women, right? They come together, they lock arms, and they get it done. So wouldn't it be so great if we could do that all the time instead of just when there's a crisis or just when the need demands it. I'm getting off on a thing oh, now. But no, it's so, so good because you're exactly right. We all have these dreams and these goals and we can work together for everybody to win. And it doesn't have to be catty. It doesn't have to be filled with drama. It doesn't have to be someone wins and someone loses. There's a both and together all the time. And so what you're doing is creating a space for people to number one, identify what it is they want, their dreams, their gifts, their talents, their strengths, and then use them in a way that benefits everybody while everybody grows together. And I think that having a safe place to do that is key because if you don't feel safe, you're not going to be vulnerable enough, right? To share your gifts and to share your goals and to share those hidden dreams that are in your heart. Because we, we always beat ourselves up, you know? I mean, you say you want to be on Survivor. I'm sure one of the first things you thought was, well, who am I to be on Survivor? And I'm not going to oh, be on yeah. so I cried. Was, when they I called me and said they wanted me on the show, I sat down and cried. I thought, what was I thinking? <laughs> what is wrong with me? <laughs> we beat ourselves up so much. We don't need to be in a community that beats ourselves up too. So yes. you're creating a safe place for people to stay those dreams and then have the support just like your son did. If he believed in you, you're creating that place for yeah. others too. So yeah. um, tell me, what is your book all about? So my book really is a journey of all, so many things that I've gone through. And, and I like to say this, I know everybody's gone through lots of things, right? So I, I, my hope is that someone can identify with the different scenarios that are in the book. My dad being an alcoholic, then losing my dad to cancer. Then I, my brother lost a stillborn child. Then my father-in-law died and I had a brother with a heroin addiction that whole time. And my mom had to have a bone marrow transplant. My husband almost, I mean, it was just like, are you kidding me? And I just feel like when other people can see someone else's story, they may not relate to every part of it, but there's parts of it they can pull out. Like one sentence may jump out to you that helps you and another one to somebody else. But my point is this, there's nothing special about me. Like I'm special and you're special, right? We're all special. But there is nothing special about me that allowed me to get through it any more than anybody else, other than the fact of tapping into that strength that was already there. And for me, depending on the Lord, I mean, that, that really is the key. I, I talk about a story in the book where we went on vacation to Colorado. This was after, you know, even after Survivor. And we went hiking. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. You know, so fun, right? Okay, I couldn't, I was like huffing and puffing. And I could, I had to stop and rest. It was so embarrassing. And I thought, I should just go back to the car. And I thought, I'm not going to be that mom, you know, that, that won't participate. 
And so I would stop by a big rock and breathe for a little bit. And one, I have one nice boy, I'll say, no, they're all nice, but one that would come back for me and wait with me. But here's what I had to do on the way up that hill. I would say to myself, get to the next tree and then you can take a break and breathe. Okay, get to that tree. All right, now get to the next tree and stop and take a break, a break and breathe. Now get to the next one. And I think so many times we look at this huge picture and think, I can't get through it. I can't do it. If we would just go, okay, let me get to tomorrow. Let me get to next week. Let me get to the end of the month. And then I would tell, you know, in my mind, tell my legs, move right now. I don't care if you hurt, you're moving. And we all have that. No matter what the situation is, there's something in there that will allow you to just put one foot in front of the other and keep going. Tapping into that strength and using that self-talk to say, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yes. Next step. Yes. You got this. And you're right because that self-talk is taking us in a direction. It's either taking us uh, down to defeat and, and lack and victim or you're saying, all right, well, what have I already accomplished? What can I do next? And you're using that self-talk to speak life into your own life, which is honestly probably one of the most important skills we can learn because we yeah. can't depend on other people all the time to be our own cheerleader. We've got to really tap into that ourselves. So what are some strategies in the book that you invite people to do that, like tapping in? First of all, I think that, that it's easy to allow thoughts to just overtake you. And I would say first is think about what you're thinking about. You know, there's a saying that you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair, right? So you can't control the thoughts that come your way. The control that you have is to take them and ponder them and think about them and allow them to take root in your heart. So first, what am I thinking about? Do I need to change what I'm thinking about to exchange negative for positive? That includes thoughts, you know, negative thoughts that we all have. Oh, you're never going to make it through. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. Look at everybody else. They do it so much better than you do. You might as well just give up, okay? If you stop and go, okay, that's not positive thought, so that needs to go. You know, I liken it to a train. If a train came by and you thought it had thoughts on it, a positive train pulls up, okay, I'm getting on. The negative train pulls up. Nope, I'm not joining in because it doesn't do me any good. So first, think about what you're thinking about. Once you start to change your thinking and exchanging the negative for positive, the natural step is that it comes out of your mouth, right? So now, not only when I think about what I'm thinking about, but as I exchange the negative for positive, that follows suit in what I say about myself and what I speak into my world. You know, I used to say, well, I was starting this business. I'm not a business person, right? This isn't my deal, but I'm learning. But I would catch myself saying all the time to people, well, I don't know what I'm doing. And one day I got this like thing on the inside. Quit saying that. So I changed it to I'm learning instead of I don't know what I'm doing. So positive words that you're speaking about yourself. Then the natural progression of that is action. Now I want to act like I'm, I'm thinking positive, I'm talking positive. Now my actions need to match up with it. Are these actions um, bringing more negativity or positivity? It could be conversations. 
you can notice people around you either bring out positive in you or negative in you, right? Or toxic or non-toxic. The flip side of that is which one are you? You know, I'm, I try to ask myself, like, does someone feel better about themselves after being with me or not? And hopefully they do, right? So the, how the people we surround ourselves with is important. And then just allowing ourselves to dream and follow it. So you've got positive thoughts. Now you've added positive words. Now you're going to take actual positive action steps by controlling your environment, your friends, what you're allowing into your heart. Then you have made space to follow your dreams and what God's put in there for you. It sounds, it's not easy, but it does all start with our thoughts. And it is, it's intentional. It's intentional. Yeah. It's on purpose. And I think that's what grit is. Grit is on purpose. You're yeah. saying, what is it that I want life to look like? And what can I do today to take a step in that direction? And when mm -hmm. you've got a community of support and accountability of other like-minded people who are, tr are, are living out their dreams as well, it's, it's a lot easier to do that because you've got that, that support. What do mm -hmm. you think is stopping women specifically, because I know that's your community, from tapping in to this grit and this inner strength that they have? I think some of it is a hopeless feeling. Some of it is lack of support. And that could be from family, could be, you know, spouse, it could be friends. Maybe they just need to switch up who's pouring into their life. I think part of it is not seeing examples of people doing it. So one way that I grow is like I watch your podcast or listen to your podcast or listen to women that are farther ahead of me of where I want to go, right? So if they don't, if you don't have a vision, you have nowhere to move towards. So like, okay, what do I like? Well, I like um, painting furniture. So I'm going to start reading and watching blogs and watching videos and seeing how other people do it and then putting it into action. You know, so I think not knowing where to go stops us, not feeling supported stops us. But I think the bottom, bottom line really has to do with identity. It has to do with knowing who you are, because if you don't have confidence, you're not going to follow your dreams. So you have to start there. Who am I? I'm not what I do. Right. Because so many of us, like if you're a mom, you're like, well, I'm just a mom. Just no. You're the CEO of your house. Yeah, that is very important. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what I do. I take care of my children. I clean. I cook. That's not who I am. It's what I do. So realizing I am a package of gifts and talents. I am a package of, you know, whatever God put in me. And we're all so unique. That's what's amazing about it. So they can identify who they are. Then with that comes confidence. Once you have confidence, then you'll start to follow your dreams. But I know so many women, they, they, they're, maybe they're in the stage of babies. And they think, this isn't important. All I do is change diapers all day. Oh, yes, it is important because you're raising the next generation. So I think another part of that is being satisfied in the season that you're in. I'm in a season now. My, my, old, my youngest just graduated last weekend. So I can do a lot more of this. But for many years, I wasn't in this season. And you got to be happy with where you're at. Yeah, I hear, um, you know, if you're listening and you're in a season and you're like, but 
I don't really like my season. <laughs> um, what are some things that people can do to tap into their inner strengths to really enjoy the journey? Even, even if it's not exactly, you know, it doesn't feel easy right now. What can we do to enjoy the journey, but keep those dreams alive so we keep moving forward? I would say, you know, that old saying that says, um, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Pick one thing. I think part of our problem is we try to do everything because we're trying to please everybody. Instead, pick one thing. No, you might, be able to, you might not be able to go out every night and do X, Y, Z, but you could maybe go out one night. You know, find a way to have community with other women. I think that's huge. Get out of the house. It is a priority that you have friendships and community. If you don't, you're going to feel lost. So I think taking it one step at a time, do one thing at a time, find a community of women that are like you and find some that are ahead of you that you can dream and look towards and then give yourself a break. That is the biggest, I mean, I think we need to have a lot more grace with ourselves. The grace that I would give my friend who's having a hard time is I'll extend so much more grace to her and not to myself. Give yourself a break and some grace. You're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. Every season has its ups and downs, but you got good ones coming no matter what season you're in. And I'm going to go back to what your husband and your mom said. Everything is going to be okay with a yes. few good belly laughs and worship music. You can get through anything. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, well, I, I, that. I like that. <laughs> I have um, several notes, you guys. I'm sure you did too. There was tips, ideas, tricks for even stirring up that dream, staying <laughs> focused even in the fear because that's just part of the journey, and taking yeah. action towards it. In a, in a community with vision and support. And I feel like if you're listening and can connect with any of what Sunday is saying, you definitely need to check out her website because she has a, a community that everybody can be a part of. It is at imagritgirl.com. Um, you can certainly check out her book, Grit Girl, Power to Survive, Inspired by Grace. My goodness. So one question, one last question I have for you, Sunday is you are digging deep. You are going for it. You're saying yes to your dreams. I think my next book is going to be called Steps in the Dark. Because mm. you have dreams and you don't know what to, you know, like you're yes. just continuing to say yes. Yes. But you don't know the path. That's part of the journey is not knowing the yes. path and figuring it out. And God only puts it in front of you right when you're ready for it. And, yeah. you know, all of that. So that's exactly what you're doing right now. Um, you're saying yes, you're taking steps, you're building a community, you're sharing your story, you're sharing your message, and you're inspiring other people to do the same. So what do you do today to keep yourself motivated, focused, and filled up? Well, A, I, you know, depend on the Lord. I have to. Checking in with him, you know, more than occasionally. <laughs> and doing a little bit of something every single day. Whether it's social media stuff, whether it's writing something that's coming in the future, working on doing one little thing a day that contributes to the dream, I think keeps you motivated. And for me, I'm like a checklist person. And you got to find what motivates you. What's, what motivates you and set that up for yourself. Hey, tell yourself, if I do X, Y, Z, I get Dairy Queen. Or if I do X, Y, Z, I'm buying a new dress. 
Or if I do X, Y, Z, I'm treating myself out with my friends and make it a game for yourself. You know, what motivates you? Everyone is something different, but do something that motivates you to do that one thing that maybe you don't feel like doing, but you're always glad once you do it afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the end joy, you know, it might, and that's where the discipline and that's really the grit, right? Is doing it it even if you don't want to, because let's face it, it's always easier to watch Netflix and eat brownies. Always. For sure. (laughs) I would always choose that, but it's not going to help me get to my goal. So grit is saying yes to even when it's not what you want to do, but you know, you need to do it because it's taking you in the direction of your dream. So Sunday, thank you so much for sharing your story, your heart, your passion, your wisdom, and your nuggets today. You guys check out her website, IamGritGirl.com. All the links and info will be in the show notes below. And remember to dream big. Thank you. This was so fun. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I want to hear your aha moment from today's amazing episode. If you could leave a review at whatever podcast player you choose to listen from, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening from, leave a review and share with us your favorite part of today's episode. Thanks for hanging out. And remember to dream big.